First Peter chapter number four. Well, in our family, we have a bunch of little plastic toys that fall on the ground called Legos. And probably many of us in here have either had children or have ourselves played with Legos. And probably if you're a parent, you've stepped on a Lego about two o'clock in the morning and almost lost your sanctification. But the Lego company is an interesting one. I just want to use this as an illustration. They are a very successful company. In fact, last year, their sales were $5.1 billion. A little bit of money. I think they're worth about uh, $7.8 billion. In 2015, they were nominated by Forbes as the most powerful brand in the world, which is pretty amazing. But in 2004, they almost went bankrupt. They actually were running um, a $300 million loss each year. And, and they were about to go bankrupt. They're about to go under. And probably part of the, what happened with that was in the 1980s and 90s when they started declining in some of their sales. They decided to do more things, you know. So if your business isn't successful, just try to do more and maybe something will work out for you. A lot of people try to do that in life as well and in churches too. And, but then they brought a CEO in. And this CEO had different philosophy. Listen to what his philosophy was. He said that he came in with this philosophy, and that was to ask some simple questions. And he said this, you really need to think hard about a, some simple questions when you think about your business. This is the business world. And they are this, why do you exist as a company? What's the really compelling reason for why you exist? There's a beeping going off over here. I don't know what it is, but if someone wants to check their purse, or it could be your pacemaker. Okay, good. <laughs> you never know. So, okay. So, just a little distracted, so I just want to go back to this here. So he was basically saying, there's got to be, a, you got to ask yourself as a company, why do you exist? And a lot of companies don't do that. They just do more things. And he found that when they went back to that, that actually was able, he was able to turn their company around. And, and he, he found that as a CEO, if you know why you exist and you pass it on to your employees and they know why they, their company exists and they pass it on to the customers, then people will actually want to be a part of this. And as long as you have a good product, I guess you might say. And that was the key in some sense to a successful business. And what this Lego CEO and many other companies like him discovered was a fundamental principle of life actually Interesting enough, God came up with first, and they just happened to come upon it, I guess. But it's true in business, it's true in the church, it's true in life. And that is this, is that, that God designed us to desire purpose. Because God designed us to fulfill a purpose. And there is fulfillment in fulfilling God's purpose. You know, if you've ever finished a project, you step back and you go, Ah, oh, that feels good, doesn't it? There's, there's a sense of satisfaction that God has designed us with, with having purpose, fulfilling purpose. And in companies that do well, they have some kind of purpose or mission statement. You might have heard this. In fact, if you're in a business, you might, I might ask you, like, what's your mission statement of your business that you're in? You might not even know. But some businesses that don't do very well don't maybe have a mission statement or don't have a good one or maybe don't follow it. In fact, I was reading through some mission statements from companies this past week. And I thought, you know, let's, I'm just going to read through a couple of these, see if you can guess what companies I'm talking about. And what I want you to do is I want you to listen to see, like, 
is this a good mission statement? Are they fulfilling it? And uh, if it's good, why? If it's not, why? So listen to this one. See if you can guess this, this mission statement. This was one from the 1980s. A computer on every desk and in every home. Okay, Microsoft. Good job. Did they fulfill their purpose? That was pretty good. Now, this is their, this is their mission statement now. To empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. Yeah, it's interesting because it's pretty broad, isn't it? And I don't know if I, I don't know if they're really accomplishing that. I don't know if there's really a good that's a good really mission because I don't know what it's really what it looks like in the end. Like they they could see in the end like they put a desk in everyone's house, but that one. But it's interesting. Mission Apple, which is obviously pretty successful now, it wasn't at one time. This is their mission statement. Apple designs the best personal computers in the world and is defining the future of mobile media and computing devices. Now, do you think that's a pretty good one? And have they fulfilled that? You see the kind of the purpose? Like if you have a bad mission statement, if you have a bad, then actually you might not fulfill what you should be doing, not be successful. Or how about this one? To the glory of, this is the mission statement for this organization, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that God's entrusted to us, to have a positive influence in all who come in contact with, you know the company? Chick-fil-A. So that, so it's interesting. So you go there, you know, people smile there and you have like, so there you go. That's theirs. And, and many companies find success when they find a purpose. And, and my point of saying that is that just to point out a truism, a, a principle of life. And that is that God has designed us to desire purpose and fulfill the purpose for which he has us. So as we think about the vision for this church, we think about the vision for, for Lighthouse. The next three weeks, we're going to talk about the vision for Lighthouse, I think the first thing we have to come back to is like, why do we even exist? Like, why do we even have a choice, a, a, um, a church here? And everything on this earth is created for a purpose. Like, there's a reason why things exist. I mean, I have a pulpit in front of us, and that was created for a purpose. And we are created for a purpose, and the church has a purpose. And so the question you must ask first as we evaluate our church is, why are we here? So from 1 Peter chapter number 4, we're going to look at three questions this morning. Number one, we're going to ask the question, why do we exist? Number two, we're going to ask the question, how? How are we to do the why? And number three, we're going to ask the question, what? What now does God want us to do? So why, how, and what? 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse number 7. The Bible says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keeping, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And the church says, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you asking for the illumination of the Holy Spirit upon your word in our hearts. Help us to understand who you are. 
And I pray that this morning you'll help us as a church, give us direction to see what is our purpose? Why are we here? What do you want us to do? Why is a lighthouse to be in Simi Valley? God, give us, give us the direction that we should have. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter chapter 4 answers all three of these questions. And if you look on your sheet that I passed out to you, you can see that I have a missions statement on there. And I basically just reworded 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. And I've summed up what I think are the answers to those four or to those three questions in this little statement. And that is we serve one another by God's grace with God's word for God's glory. I think we could all say that together. Let's try to say that together. Ready? We serve one another by God's grace with God's word for God's glory. And that is really what we want to kind of have as our mission. This is why we are here. And I believe the Holy Spirit is directing us to understand, first of all, why do we exist? And so that's the first question we're going to look at. Why are we here? Verse 11. We're going to kind of work our way from the bottom of verse 11 up. So verse 11 Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And here is the statement I want you to listen to, read, hold on to. In order that, here's the reason, here's the reason verses 7 and through 11 are there. The reason why the church is the way it should be is that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So verse 11 is the conclusion, not just of that paragraph, but actually of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, through 1 Peter 4, 11. We're not going to study all those verses here this morning, but the conclusion on what a church is to do and to be is found there in verse 11. And that is everything that they're supposed to do and be is to be done that God may be glorified. And notice he said, Everything that includes us individually in our lives and that includes includes us corporately as a church that includes our thoughts. We're to bring glory to God in our desires, our words, our actions, our songs, our plans, our entertainment, our jokes, our relationships, our sex lives, our social media interaction, our gatherings, our services, our transactions. Everything you do should be done for the glory of God. And why? What does the verse say? Why should we do everything for the glory of God? Why should we do the why? Maybe say it that way. And he says, so that, because to him belongs the glory. The answer is we should do, give God glory in everything because he owns the glory and he deserves the glory. So the primary motivation you should have in your life and in this church is that you bring glory to God. Now, so the question then is, what does that mean? So we throw that around a lot. We should bring glory to God, glorify God. God deserves the glory. Well, what is that even talking about? I was driving back from um, dropping one of my girls off somewhere, and then we were driving in the car. And so I was trying to explain this to her. So after about 10 minutes, kind of practicing on her, I said, "Uh, do you understand? And she goes, not really. (laughs) Well... Let's try to just get a glimpse, maybe just a little taste of who God is. The truth is, if, if we could completely comprehend God, he probably wouldn't be God anymore, right? So, so let's just try to get a glimpse of what does it mean that God deserves glory, that the, of the glory of God. Well, first of all, in verse 11, there's two words that are used for glory. Or I should say there's two words that 
uh, glory and, uh, and glorified. And they come from the root word, Greek word doxa. And glory simply means the splendor or, or the radiance of something. But what does that mean? Okay, well, we are, glory is a description of the radiance of who God is. So the, the something is God's attributes, his characteristics. And so the, the glory is the splendor of God's attributes. And so the, the question is, if that glory comes from the attributes of God, then what is, uh, what are the attributes of God? Who is God? Well, God is holy. He's perfect. He's infinitely great. He's infinitely good. He's, he's everything that's good to the infinite degree, right? He's love to infinity. He's, he's everything great to the infinite degree. He's powerful to infinity. And so God is, is holy and he's completely outside of, our, of, of who we are. And, and, uh, and God's, I would say it this way, his defining characteristic is what? It's his holiness. And so Revelation chapter 4 says the angels right now are in heaven. They're crying out what? Holy, holy, holy. So, and when someone on earth, one of, uh, you know, in, in the scriptures, when we see a, someone getting a glimpse of God's presence or a manifestation of, of God, what do they cry out? They kind of scream, what? Holy, right? They see God. When someone has a glimpse of the divine manifestation of God, they're struck by his primary characteristic, and that is holiness. In fact, if you look at your sheet, Revelation chapter 15, verse 4 says that there will be a time where saints will sing in heaven. What will the song be? Revelation 15, 4. Who will not fear, O Lord? In other words, everyone should fear God and everyone should glorify his name. Why? For you are holy. So notice in that verse that glory comes from holiness. Glory is the radiance and the splendor of the holy God. And you can't understand God's glory until you understand his holiness. It's kind of like going down a rabbit trail. So what then is holiness? Well, holy means to be completely unique and different. God is in a class all by himself. He is perfect in every way. We, we think of it as he's separate from us. He's different than us. I mean, think about it. God exists outside of time, outside of matter, outside of space. Before there was anything, it was God. He never had a beginning. He'll never have an ending. And we think of the vastness of how how great the universe is. But there's something even greater than that. And it's God. And he exists outside of all that. That just just blows your mind. How can you even understand that? That's kind of the idea of the holiness of God. It's like, it's it's kind of outside of our realm of really completely being able to understand. And so God's holiness is his... His, his, he's in a class by himself. He's unique. He's different. He's separate from us. So the glory of God is the splendor of God's holiness. And, you know, the thing is, if I were to say, like, what's glory? What's, what's, what's the splendor of God's radiance? Like, what? you can't hold glory in your hands, can you? I can't be like, let's go get, buy some glory at the store today. That, that's, not, that's a difficult thing with a word like that. It's, it's a kind of a reflection. It's a, it's a quality of something. It's hard to kind of put your finger on it, describe it. Like if I were to talk to someone who had never seen a pulpit before, I could pretty easily describe this. You know, I could say, well, it's, it's brown and it's maybe about four foot high and it's a little flat but inclined. So I can put my Bible here and I, I stand behind it and I teach. And I could probably give a picture of something, but glory is not like that. It's, it's super 
very difficult to, to define. It's kind of like, like the word beautiful. Like if I were to ask you, give me a definition of the word beautiful. Now just think about it in your head. How would you define beautiful? Because you, you can probably think of syn- synonyms. You could think, well, it's, it's pretty. Or, well, that's, not, that's a synonym. That's not really a definition of it. Or you can think, well, it's something that's attractive or it's symmetrical. Well, that's, that's a description of maybe something that's beautiful. Or you might think of the effect. Oh, it's something that causes awe. Well, that's, that's more of an emotional refre- um, action, reaction to it, but it's not actually what beauty is. You, you might say it's um, maybe it's kind of uh, the, the symmetry of something, or you might say, well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so it's up to the person. But it's, it's hard to actually, but we, but we know beauty, right? We, like we go outside, we say that's beautiful. Everyone knows what we're talking about. It's, and the point is it's kind of a quality of something, and it's hard to actually define what beautiful is. Yesterday, we had some friends we were with. We went back in the, the backyard back there. We were walking, and we saw the, the mountains and the green. And they were just, and over and over, the people we were with, wow, it's beautiful. Like, this is beautiful. I was talking to someone a couple weeks ago, and I was doing the same thing. I was like, wow, these, these hills are just beautiful. And this person um, said, where'd you grow up? I said, I grew up in Indiana. They're like, oh, that's beautiful. And I was like, no, it's, it's flat and cornfields. And it was snowing there yesterday, and that's not beautiful. And it's like, oh, I think it's beautiful. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. It's hard to actually define what beauty is, isn't it? I think this is beautiful. I guess everything has its own beauty in a way, if you want to say, God's creation. But let me kind of help with, with maybe an illustration to help you understand. Because beauty and glory are kind of in the same family. They're very, they're very similar to each other. Both of them are kind of the, the radiance or splendor of a thing, right? We look at a thing, we say, that's beautiful. Or we look at God's, we see God's glory or God's holiness. We say, oh, that's, that's the glory. That's the radiance of who God is. So let me give a kind of illustration. In December, we uh, went up to the Reagan Library and went through the Reagan Library. We came out right when the sun was about to set. And how many of you ever seen the Reagan Library when it's the sun's about to set? You ever been out there? So, so we went all, we didn't expect actually this to happen. We went outside and the sun was setting. It was amazing. And so everyone's going. In fact, they had some, um, some event taking place, but most people weren't doing that. They were like standing there going, oh, wow. It was just, it's hard to even describe. But yet people that were talking about the sunset, and you could say it this way, they were giving glory to the sun, to the sunset. Like the, the sun had glory in itself, right? There was nothing I could do to add to that. It's not like I could get my pen light and be like, oh, get a little bit more uh, glory up there, right? The sun had all its glory. I couldn't take a sheet of sheet and cover the sun. Be like, oh, I'm going to cover that. Oh, there's no more glory. No, it's like it had its own glory. It had all the glory it's going to have. And I couldn't add to it, but I could glorify it. In other words, I, what I could do is I could, could talk in such a way, I could do things that brings it glory. To say, wow, that's amazing. I mean, one of the things I could do that, I just have my mouth wide open, gaping, going. Right? I'm bringing glory. To this. Or I could say something. I could say, that's amazing. Or I could go and tell my friends, be like, you wouldn't believe what I saw at the Reagan Library. I saw a sunset. The, the sun was slowly sinking behind the horizon. It was dipping beyond the mountains. It's Rays of light lit up the sky with hues of, of gold and crimson. And the, the sun beam struck the green hills with brilliance. And each ray of light seemed to dance upon the, the grassy hills. And you're like, ooh, that's beautiful, right? And, I, and it's really it's just me describing the glory of the sun and the, of the sunset. 
I could take a picture of it. And we did that. We took a picture of all of us with the sunset. And that didn't really even give it justice. It was like, oh, but, but we brought glory, if you want to say, to the sunset as we took a picture and put that on Facebook so the world could see. <laughs> and that's, I think it's a good picture. I mean, just a, a, maybe an example of what it looks like to bring glory to God. God, in all his holiness and all, all of who he is, like you, he can't be more than he is now. God is, God is unchanging. He is glory. In fact, if you look at your verse, it says to him belongs glory, right? He is glory. He's everything he's ever going to be. You can't add to it. It's not like you saying something about God is like, oh, now God's greater than he once was. Like God is who he is and he always will be that. But you can glorify God. And what that means is you, you can think, you can feel, you can act in a way that, way that makes much of God. Glorify means that we live and we think and we act in a way that recognizes and displays who God already is. The greatness of his attributes. And and to simply put it this way, I tell children when I teach children to my children, to glorify means that your life is all about God. Your life is all about God. I think about being at that sunset there. And my children weren't that in awe of the sunset. Some of them weren't. You know, the littlest ones, the four-year-old, he was running around and going underneath things. And, 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 and you might think about it this way. Like, I was like, guys, look at the sunset. This is amazing. This is, look, at this is amazing. And it's like, he cares more about, you know, picking up dirt and you know, seeing if there's a snake around somewhere. And I'm like, look at the glory of the sun. And, and isn't that kind of how we live our life? Like, God wants us to bring him glory, not to bring glory to the sun, but to say, God, you're amazing to understand who he is. But we just get so distracted by other things, don't we? And so we are to glorify God. That's what we were created. First Corinthians 1031. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of of God. So everything we do, even to the mundane things of life, like picking up a fork and putting a piece of food in your mouth, you are to do that in, in such a way that reflects the awesomeness of God. And of course, the great problem we have is that we don't glorify God. I mean, read the book of Romans. That's kind of what it's talking about. God is glorious and we have not glorified him. Romans one twenty one says that instead of glorifying God, We have not glorified him, but we have done what? We've exchanged the glory of God for our own glory. And we have lifted ourselves up and sinned against God. I mean, I think about that sunset there. None of my children did this, but you can imagine if we're all just hanging on for that last ray of light going over and everyone just looking at it. And you can imagine a child maybe turns his back on the sunset and he starts making shadows in his hand or on the ground. And he's like, hey, everyone, everyone, look at the shadows. I'm doing a bunny, you know? And, and isn't that kind of how it is in life for us? We as humans have, have turned our back on God and we've taken what the goodness that he's given to us and we bring glory to ourselves. We rejected him, but it's even worse than that. Not only have we turned our back on him, but we do not submit to him as God. And we honor ourselves by glorifying us and, and following our own wills. And that's the whole point of the gospel. The gospel rescues us and restores us to our intended purpose, which is what? To bring God glory. And so if you look in your sheet there, it says in Ephesians 3.21 that we are created for God's glory and the church exists to him be glory in the church. The church exists to glorify 
God. And so we do that as a collective redeemed group that gathers together to honor our Lord. So all that, did you catch all that? All that to come to this point and it's why do we exist as a church? And we must think, what is our motivation for being here? Why does God want us to be here? We should want to reflect. Our motive should be that we want to reflect the awesomeness of God. This church, individually, and then corporately, we should be all about God. And the reason we have Lighthouse should be to shine the glory of God. I think sometimes we think about this in the realm of evangelism. So we think, oh, what's... We need to glorify God so everyone can see how great God is. And there's a, there's a sense where that's true. But this isn't just about external. This is actually something that's also very personal, very private. It's like every thought. It's not just outwardly. It's but your thoughts, your motives. It's, it's what's happening on the, on the inside. But, but, and, and inwardly, your life is about God. And everything you do, you think, okay, why am I doing this? It's for God. How does God want me to respond? I want to bring glory to God. I think about this with if you have children or grandchildren. You might teach them to pick up their room and pick up their toys or their clothes. And, and I think about one time, I, mean, I think about when I talk with my children about what to do and how to pick their stuff up. It's not just, you know, you take your toy, put it in the toy bin, take your clothes and your dirty socks and dirty underwear and put it, you know, in the bin. It's actually like you, you, you actually have a motive behind it. Like you should do that for God. And, and some of it's like, you know, when we teach our children, make sure we're teaching our children why we do what we do. It's not just do all your things to get them all done so you have a clean room. But I should clean up my room for the glory of God. And, and there's times where I tell my kid, okay, my kids, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to clean this room. We got to think, why are we doing this? I'm doing this for Jesus. So I pick this up. I put it over here. And I do this for Jesus. And we teach them that why. So that when they're by themselves and the door is closed and they're supposed to pick up their room. And they take their dirty socks and dirty underwear and they shove it under their bed. They remember, I'm not doing that for the glory of God. I'm doing that for what? It's most convenient. (laughs) But actually, if a person lives in such a way that says, I want to make great of God. I want to make God's name great. I want to make much about God. They can live in a way that then, therefore, their motives are to bring him glory. And so then we think about everything we do here. Why do you sing? Like when you just sing, why did you sing? Did you sing to bring glory to God? When you guys led up here, why did you lead? Did you lead to bring glory to God? Why do we serve? Why, did you, why are you even here? Like, why are you sitting in the seat? Are you here in the seat just because it's a thing I do on Sundays? Or you're like, I came because I want to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. So our motives and goals and our plans should be sourced in the desire to reflect the awesomeness of God. Which then leads to the next question. How are we to glorify God? So why do we exist to glorify God? And how are we to glorify God? In other words, what, by what means do we glorify God? Well, we glorify him as we depend on God's grace and use God's word. Look at verse 10. He says in verse 10, as each has received a gift. First notice, stop right there. Notice the word Gift. This word gift is the singular form of the word grace. And he says, you have received this grace, this singular form of the word grace. You've received this particular grace. And this word received is a past tense aorist. In other words, it's something that God did for you as a believer in the past. 
And remember, remember when we're talking about grace, what grace is. Grace is God's work of love in and for you that you cannot earn. In other words, this isn't something that you, uh, you asked God for and he gave it to you. When you became a believer, God particularly graced you in a certain way so that you could serve him and you could serve the church. In fact, we call these the, the gifts of the Spirit. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talk about those gifts and this passage right here. Those are the three main passages that talk about the gifts that the Spirit of God gives us. And it's interesting, those three passages have different gifts in them. In other words, there's not like one set list, like these are all the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. But it's interesting that there's a variety of gifts, which I think speaks to the fact that there's, that there's actually gifts beyond even what the Bible speaks about. There's gifts that God gives you so you can serve the church. In fact, if you look in your sheet there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 speaks of these gifts. And it says, but one and the same Spirit works all things. So the Spirit of God is the one who gives the gifts of grace and distributing to each person individually as he wills. In other words, God is uniquely giving you gifts that's not going to be the same necessarily as other people. You might have similar gifts, like Roger teaches the word, I teach the word. We have, you might say, the gift to do that, but it's going to be different how we're going to do it. We're going to teach in different ways. And and when you study spiritual gifts, you'll see that the Spirit of God equips believers for, for the purpose, with, with grace, for the purpose of serving the church. That's why they have the gifts. In fact, some people in some churches uh, pray for certain gifts. But what's interesting you see here is that you receive, you've already received the gift. You can't pray for it. Like, God, please give me this gift of the Spirit. No, you've already been gifted. It's in the past. Something that happened to you. You might need to develop it. You need, might need to work on it. You might need to help someone... Uh, have someone help you with that. But there's, there's no, you don't see anything in the scriptures where it's pray that you can receive this future gift here. It's like, this is something the Holy Spirit has given you. So look at verse 10. He says, as each one has received a gift, a, a particular grace, use it to serve one another as good steward of God's varied grace. So God individually and specifically has graced you from his varied grace. This word varied is actually a really cool word. In the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is used uh, just in Genesis chapter 37 in verse 3 when the Bible speaks of Joseph in his coat of many colors, or his coat of varied colors. So you think about his coat, and whoever had the loom made this amazing coat that had many colors. And that's kind of the idea here is the word varied is like various colors. It's, it's, like, it's kind of like even the picture if you think about an artist. If you go into an artist's studio, they might have these paints everywhere in there, right? And you think about maybe they have a canvas, and they're going to paint this beautiful, this beautiful painting. And so what they do is they pick out the colors they need, and they set them down there, and they work on this canvas. They take their brush, they take their paint, and they make this beautiful canvas. And you might say it this way. They have varied colors. From those varied colors, they create this beautiful masterpiece. And, and the picture here is like you're going into God's studio, and it's, endless it's infinite it's like this it's like this warehouse full of colors but what god has done is he made you if you want to say it this way a certain color he's given certain colors to you and he's the master artist and i know i might be taking this illustration too far but think about it like it's it's like god has given you particular grace and, and colors and he takes his his brush of the word of god he dips it in your heart and he uses it to paint the beautiful picture of the church 
That's what you're doing here. You're serving. You're using your gifts and the word of God to serve the church. God is making something beautiful. I just, I can imagine at the end of time, as we look back and it's not going to be an actual painting, so don't get me wrong, but I can imagine we're going to look and say, wow, God made something beautiful. And you know how he makes something beautiful? He uses you and he uses the great, his grace and his word. So you are like a unique color that God has gifted you with his grace. And he has, he has a special task for you. And what does this grace look like? Look down in, in verse 11 or well, 10 and 11 there. It says, as good steward of his various grace. And then he has two categories that he, his grace is manifested in verse 11. It's the words of grace. And then it's the, the, it's the strength of grace. So look down in verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. The oracles of God are speaking about the, the spoken words of Scripture. So Scripture is spoken. That's God's oracles. And then whoever serves is speaking about the strength that God gives by his grace. So why do we exist? To glorify God. And how are we to glorify God? We are to grace other people with the grace God has given us and with the words of grace. The words that come out of our, our mouth that grace other people should be the words of God. And the strength that we should do it in is the grace that God gives to us. And if, if, if my life and if Lighthouse and if your life and if Lighthouse is based upon your own ingenuity or mine own ingenuity and my wisdom, who receives the glory? I do. You do. If, if my life and my ministry is based upon the amazing strength and determination of who I am, who receives the glory? But if each day and each word, and each action, and each plan and every activity is dependent upon God's grace and, and uses God's words to minister grace, then who receives the glory? And do you see how that works? As we are ministers of God, we're to serve and minister to people using the grace of God and God's grace is given to us by his spirit and his word. So how are we, how are we to glorify God? Well, life is about God. So we must depend upon him and use his words to serve him and other people. In fact, if you look at your sheet there, Colossians chapter three, verse 16 and 17, I thought gave a great kind of application and summary to this right here. Because Paul writes in Colossians three sixteen, let the word of Christ, that's the scriptures, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then what happens when it dwells in you? It comes out in teaching. It comes out in admonishing to, look, look at that word, one another. In all wisdom. It comes out in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It comes out with thankfulness in your heart to God. And then verse 17. So there's, there's you might say, that's the, those are the words of grace. In verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, to the glory of God, in other words, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. So we serve one another by God's grace, with God's word, for God's glory. So let's look at the last question. So if we're to glorify God and we're to use his grace and his word, what does God want us to do with that? 
What are we to do with his grace and his word? Well, we are to, last of all, serve one another. Look at First Peter 4, 7. I'm going to start at the beginning of this passage and kind of look at this. First Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is near. What he's saying is, listen, the world is deteriorating. Jesus is coming back soon. Do you feel like that? Do you feel that? If you watch the news, you're realizing, yeah, that, that things are pretty much getting worse in this world morally. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. In other words, be serious about your relationship with God. And then he says, be serious about your relationship with others. And he gives three verbs, three participles that help us understand that. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, we need to love people by forgiving them. Right? We have relationships sometimes that get broken in a church. And, and we need to have love cover those relationships. So love others with forgiveness. And then verse 9, show hospitality to one another. And notice, notice how all these are connected with these one another's here without grumbling. So we're to love others by inviting them into our life and into our homes with hospitality. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve, once again, one another. So you're to love people by serving them as good stewards, as a good manager of God's grace. So what are we to do? Like, as we think about, you might sit this way, the terrible times we live in, right? I mean, if we're, we're in California, so I hear it like every day, you know, oh, how terrible, everything. So what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do about it? What is God calling us to do? And what he says is, be serious about your relationship with God and be serious about your relationship with other people. And he's saying here, love one another. Much, so much time is wasted in the Christian life with unforgiveness within the church, with outside of the church. I mean, we need to love each other by saying, you know what? I'm going to cover that with love. So much loneliness takes place in our society. And sometimes within our church, we just need to invite people into our life and into our homes. And sometimes we wait and we're like, well, someone wants to invite me over. But that's not the call here. The call is for us to go out. And then so much of our lives are just live for ourselves. And he's saying, here's the call. Serve one another. Love one another. The word serve here is the word in Greek, diakonos. You recognize that word? It's the word for deacon. So we're, we're praying. Last week I said, we need to pray that God will give us some deacons. You know what a deacon is? He's a servant. In fact, kind of a, kind of a, a way to say he's, the, he's leading the service of the church. Because we're all to be servants. And a deacon is just men, our men in the church, who are leading the church in serving. In fact, you know who the first deacon was? Yeah, someone might say Stephen or, you know who it was? It's actually Jesus. For, listen to this. Mark ten forty five. Jesus says of himself, for even the son of man came not to be served, that's diakonos, but to serve, to be a deacon and to give his life a ransom for many. I kind of wonder if Peter, when he was writing 1 Peter chapter 4, thought of Jesus saying that right there. You know the context that, that comes from in Mark chapter 10. The disciples are fighting with each other. Two of the disciples were saying, who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And mom even stepped in and tried to help out with that. And I mean, and it's such a, a, honestly, a great picture of what happens within churches. You know, who's the greatest in this? Who's going to be over this? Who's going to do this? You know, and sometimes it's like, well, who are we? Are we doing this for our glory? Is that what we're doing? Why, why are we here? Like, aren't we doing this all for God's glory? I mean, and aren't we here to serve people and to bring him glory by serving people? 
And so Jesus concludes that little fight they have by saying, hey, guys, let me give you an example. I've actually come into this world not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And who did Jesus serve? Well, he served his father by obediently humbling himself and coming to the earth and and fulfilling his plan of redemption. But he also, he served us by giving his life a ransom for many. And so every day of Jesus' life, why was he there? Who are the people I'm here to serve? And that's why he's so tired. He's so worn out. But he says, doesn't matter. Let's keep going, guys. Let's serve people. And then his end of his life, he ended his life with the greatest sacrifice. And he gave his life a ransom for many. That's, just, that's the picture we see here in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, is that we are to serve. We're to diakonize. The, diakonize, the word ser, uh, diakonize really, literally means waiter, to wait on people. And the word steward there is the idea of a manager. So we're to steward God's grace as we serve people within the church. So we serve people. God has given you his grace and his word, and we are accountable as stewards of his, of his word and the grace within us through the Holy Spirit to manage it well and serve people. And I, and I think as we just consider Lighthouse and the vision of this church and what's the future of this church going to look like and how are we going to move forward, I think we, we have to look at what is, our, what is our mission? Like, why are we here? What is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11 calling us? to do. And that is to serve one another by God's grace, and the power of the Holy Spirit with God's word for the glory of God. So our motive, our motive for everything must be God. We want to glorify you. Our, our means must be the grace of God and the word of God. And our daily ministry must be serving people. And so I just want to go through these three questions and think about it. what does that practically look like for us? Like, how are we to do that as a church? So first of all, why, why do we exist? Why do you do what you do? Have you thought about that? Why did you come in here and sit down this morning? Like, why did you even get out of bed this morning? (laughs) Why are you going to get out of bed tomorrow morning? Sometimes we ask ourselves that. Why am I going to get out of bed? Like, are you doing what you do to radiate the glory of God? I had a pastor pastoral mentor, they used to say it this way. He said, everything you do should be done for the glory of God because God is worthy and people are worth it. God is worthy and people are worth it. So, so if you're taking care of a baby in the nursery, why are you in there? I'm on the schedule again. I just love cute babies. Probably if you're on the schedule, you probably should just keep it. If you, if you like babies, it's good to like babies. But are you in there because I want to bring glory to God? Like I want to be in this nursery and change this diaper, this blowout. <laughs> this parent knew it was coming. Somehow it happens at 1130 every Sunday. They know it. You know, or, or why am I cleaning the bathroom? Someone just messed the bathroom up. Why, why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you, why do you sing? Why do you interact with people? Why do you disciple? Why do you, we have a food share program. Why do we do food share? We, oh, to feed people. What? We're doing it to bring glory to God as we serve people. So, so why do we do what we do? I mean, why do you do what you do? So I think we have to evaluate our ministry, not just our own hearts, but also then what we do and ask the question before we do anything, does this bring glory to God? Is this the best use of our time and our resources to magnify God? Will doing this 
radiate the glory of God. Next question we ask is, by what means do we do what we do? Are we serving the Lord and each other from our own resources? You know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, someone needs advice. Let me sit down. Let me I'll tell you my experience of what happened to me. Experience isn't necessarily bad, but it's not a perfect teacher. But this is. And are we thinking, like, what does God's word have to say about your situation? Maybe I don't know. Maybe I need to go study. Maybe to ask someone that can help me understand that. But what resources are you pulling from to minister to people? Are you just getting up and saying, I'm just going to do this, and, and, and as long as I can do this in my own strength, I'm going to go at it, and I'm so tired? Or are you going to the Lord and saying, God, give me the strength. Give me the strength to endure. Give me the grace. Give me the help that I need. Are you doing what you're doing to serve people? I mean, did you walk in this room today and think, man, how are people going to take care of my needs? You know, And you sit there and be like, I wonder if anyone's going to come talk to me. That's what we do sometimes. I mean, we're naturally selfish. Or do we come in here and say, okay, okay, who's the person in here that I can serve today? Like, who's the, who's the person in this community that I can, I can go out and I can minister God's grace with God's words? And do we think in such a way that says, how can I serve people? And I think the, the reality is, is that, that many of you in here have been serving God for years. And, and what happens is we can get tired, can't we? The Bible speaks of that and says, don't be weary in well-doing. But it, you can get weary in well-doing. And you can have times you're like, I think I'm just ready to, to take a break. You know, I think I'm just tired. And I'm just going to tell you, like, I understand that. I understand that. Maybe I, I can't necessarily, uh, I'm not there right now, but I'm saying, I understand that. I can understand that you're super tired and whatever. But like, listen, keep going. Keep going. You only got a couple more years left anyways, right? <laughs> I mean, I got, what, 30, 40 years? That's not very long compared to eternity. Keep going. Keep serving the Lord. Think of, think of how should I be thinking about my life? It's not that I, I need to take a break. I'm tired. It's, it's how can I serve people in a greater way? How can I continue to serve God? I remember one time visiting a lady who was homebound. This was one of those ladies who taught Sunday school all her life. And she was always visiting people in the hospital. And she was just always serving. But now she was homebound. She's sitting there. And her husband had passed away. She was a widow, and she couldn't get out. So she was sad. She was de- somewhat depressed. And, uh, and then one time I went and visited her, and I can remember she hold my, held my hand. She goes, I found my way to serve. And she would get cards, and she would pray for people, and she would write them a card and send it to her. And that fulfilled, it was like, that's the way she served. I mean, she, was, she knew that she has to serve in some way. How can she serve? And she can't get out. She can't physically do it. But she could write a letter. She could pray for people. And honestly, even if you can just sit in your home for 30 minutes and just pray through the people of this church, that's a way that you can serve. How can we serve? Well, God has given us a great church. I love Lighthouse. I love you guys. I mean, remember, the church isn't this building. It's this right here, right? I love you guys. And we have to ask ourselves, why are we even here? We have to be introspective in our own hearts. Are we living our lives for the glory of God? And I think we have to ask ourselves the question, how are we ministering God's grace? Are we doing it in his strength? Are we doing it with his word? And then what are we to do next? In the next two weeks, I really want to maybe look at that part. Like, how do we serve one another? What does that look like practically in our church? But really just wanted us to start off with this like idea of why are we even here? And my prayer 
is that that on a daily basis, definitely on Sundays, we'll be thinking to ourselves, how can we serve one another by God's grace, with God's word, for God's glory? Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Father, we're so thankful for the scriptures you have given by the power of the Holy Spirit through men of old. But the scriptures are, are new in application. Like every day we can look at your word and you, we can know what you want for us. I'm so thankful that we don't have to be lost in life, that we have a guide. The word of God is like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So lighten our path individually and corporately as a church. God, lead us in your truth. Give us faith to trust you more. We so thankful for this church. We want it to be under the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.